Welcome to season two of Conversate Trans. Conversate Trans is an intergeneration podcast exploring trans culture. We're a small art and history collective, and in each episode, Jules and Alexandra interview other trans people. That means we're a trans podcast meant for trans people. The type of podcast we do is a free-flowing conversation with other trans people we know or don't know. We want to document and highlight the vast story they experience in the trans community. Because behind every salacious story portrayed in the media are these glorious, kind, audacious people who have their own stories and personalities that go along with being trans. Hi, I'm Jules. And I'm Alexandra. And welcome to another episode of Conversate Trans. And today, as a guest, we have Philippa Ryder, uh, who has not shared what object she is bringing today, so it's a surprise to all of us. Philippa, do you want to tell us what it is? Well, when I started, when I started exploring my, my identity, my gender identity, the very first thing that I tried on was my sister's skirt. And that, that moment, that occasion has stuck with me for a long, long time. I'm not saying what my age is. You can look it up. But <laughs> so that that little school skirt, because my my sister was five years younger than me, and that little school skirt meant so much for me. Were like a like a uniform skirt, or was it just yeah. like a brain? It was. It was a school skirt. Yeah, with a little tartan design on it, and it was you know it was. Yeah, it just felt natural. So as I, as I walked around her, her bedroom and my, my parents were out and my sister was out as well with my mother and, uh, yeah, it, it was a defining moment in my life. So that's why, uh, that's the object that I have. This is so lovely that you just so at <laughs> ease and like it felt natural. Yeah, um, I think. Like, I felt extremely guilty and extremely embarrassed mm-hmm. when yeah. I put it on. And in fact, I, I pulled it off and threw it on the, on, on her bed and then realized that if I threw it on her bed, it would have been obvious that I'd been messing with it. So I folded it very nicely because my, my mother was obsessed with neatness and tidiness. So, um, and indeed, speaking of my mother, like, she was glamorous. She was somebody I looked up to in so many ways, but the, the smell of the nail polish that she would put on before she went to dinner dances and, and events with my father, that was, that smell is something else. I mean, I mentioned the skirt, but equally, my object could easily have been a bottle of nail polish. Um, so it's, you know, and I looked up to my mother so much in so many different ways that um, I won't blame her for, for who I am now, but certainly her glamour and her, her, her just femininity certainly did lead me in that direction although I would have found obviously I would have found myself I would have found my true self of course at some point but I, I think I think her femininity definitely um, helped me along that path so so it was like she was like a role model yeah yes she would absolutely have been a role model yeah um yeah so, um, so just that it's very like I guess six she was one of your early kind of uh, symbols of femininity or yes yeah, that's right right there yeah um, I grew up in the 70s in Ireland which was very very conservative and okay there were there were very glamorous women on, on television and so on um, and I like I was only what was I 11, 12 at that time very difficult time to 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 be questioning your gender identity. I mean, Ireland at that time was an extremely conservative country, so it was it was difficult to to you couldn't express any sort of difference 
in Ireland at that time, with with the Catholic Church being so prevalent and being so influential. So I found that I basically couldn't explore my gender identity. It was it was just something that had to stay hidden, and I suffered for that. I suffered during my my teenage years. It was it was extremely difficult, and I would try. I would every now and again, I would try on my sister's skirts or clothes and my mother's as well. But it was very, it was the sort of thing that I was absolutely terrified about. So my mental health was being affected because could you imagine the, the embarrassment for me in, in a typical Irish family of that time, you know, um, two parents and, uh, you know, a boy and a girl. Well, they thought it was a boy and a girl, but it actually wasn't. Um, so it was, it was, it was difficult for me. Very, very difficult. Um, and anybody on the, um, the, you know, the media, any, any comments that were being made, any articles in newspapers or whatever were always very critical and very sensationalist. And it was, I found it extremely difficult to, to, to cope with that. And there was no information around. Though saying that, it was something that perhaps at that time I just didn't want to face, uh, because others in my in my circle of friends um, would have found who who were around the same age as me, and they would have ferreted out information from sources that I just didn't consider, that I didn't want to consider because I was finding it too difficult to cope with. What kind of like things would they blurt out? Like in support of people who are different or not? Um, well, the media, the media was, was extremely okay. negative. Yeah. Um, and any, even, even gay people on, on television would be ridiculed and uh, sensationalized. And it was, it was just, I, I avoided looking at them because number one, I knew that wasn't me. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was, but I knew that the stereotypically Danny LaRue or any of the other, um, drag queens, so to speak, I knew that wasn't me and I didn't want to be associated with them. It was, it was a case of just hiding, hiding, hiding all the time. I, I definitely had that same kind of experience where I avoided the media. I still think I do mm. when it's outside the trans circles because mm. you know exactly the kind of spiel they're going to come out with and it's just, it's, um, oh God, what's, what's her name? The one who's related to the Kardashians. Oh God. Her name. But what see her, like, that's what I... Oh, Caitlyn Jenner. Oh Caitlyn yeah, Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think she's she married. She was married to the to her mom. I, I'm not sure, but um, no, she was. Yeah, I know about mm. that. <laughs> it's just like when I when I talk to my family, they're like, "Oh, that Caitlyn Jenner." It's like, no, yeah. no, yeah. I'm not a very wealthy. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and and the thing to remember as well is that um, people like Caitlyn Jenner isn't the worst by any means. Um, oh, yeah, you know, and I think I think um, I think it's important to if somebody brings up the likes of Caitlyn Jenner, Jenner, um, then it would be useful to talk to some of the really positive role models that are out there. Yeah, but it's quite hard to do that because mm. I find a lot of people are really kind of more just interested in the celebrity, you know. Yeah gossipy kind of movie star kind of stuff. Well, some of that's like our human nature that we aren't like gossip and sharing stories about like a salacious matter, but yeah, I don't, <laughs> sometimes it's like there's obviously people like that celebrity who don't have the same influence or affluence that mm. like people know and how they speak about people like Caitlin can make a difference. Like, yeah, she's like well, I'll say she's a horrible person, but like, 
that's just her personal views. I wouldn't say that she's yeah. like anything aspiring. No, disparaging about her gender. There we go. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know what joke me mad though? Do you remember that joke people are making about uh, helicopters? That was their gender? Oh yeah, they still do that. It's not very like clever. Uh, it, yeah, what was, it's, what what was that joke? Oh, it's like oh. I identify as a helicopter because oh, they're sorry. like people are yeah. like, oh yeah, if you see yeah. this, like I'm gonna yeah. say I'm that. Yeah, but sure. I mean, uh, that's been going around for many, many years. But that's, that's it. That's, that's yeah, been yeah, around like a decade I, now, nearly. Yeah, I identify like, as oh. female. Well, I identify as whatever. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's not. It's 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 something that should be that should be basically you know called out and uh, and, and Although, not accepted. I do like this one where it's like if you make fun of my trans friends, I'll start identifying as a problem. Right. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen right. You've got to bring it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, did you have? Yeah. Okay, oh. what? You can go first. No, Alexander. You go first. I was gonna say, um, like that that experience of you first wearing a uh, skirt. Can you tell us? Like, do you remember that experience like really vividly? Oh, I do. Oh, I absolutely do. Um, okay, indeed. Like, maybe tell us how like it felt. How did it feel? It it felt to some degree natural. It I I enjoyed the just how it swished. Those are words. It swished around my around my well because I was five years older. It it wasn't swishing around my knees. It was swishing about my 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 legs considerably further up. (laughs) But. I just felt it felt natural to me, and um, but only for now. I want to emphasize this: only for about five minutes. That's all I allowed myself wear wear this because I was so embarrassed and I was so so afraid of my mother and sister coming home and finding me like that and the embarrassment that it would have caused. And um, then it, I, I, I got got involved in so many other things that. I wasn't allowing myself to consider my my feelings, my trans feelings, um, because of society at the time, because it was so difficult to accept difference. So, as as much as I enjoyed that skirt, and then later on, by the way, um, both well, I'll simply say my family. I'm not talking about my wife and daughter now, but, but the wider family. When I said that I had been dressing since I was essentially 12, they absolutely denied it. They said there is absolutely no way that you could have been doing this that we would have known. And I said, well, I kept it very quiet. I kept it hidden. And no, you didn't know. So... Uh, it was it was denial from from them, and they were just basically shocked, and it took them a long time to accept. That's really interesting that they were like so adamant that you hadn't done this thing mm. that you had done, like because I mean it, it's quite common for families like you're not trans or whatever, yeah. but to say that you haven't done something that you've done, yeah, I was just kind of wondering, I guess because um. It might just relate to some people listening and make their experiences. Yes, yes. I spent the next time you wore something feminine was a completely different experience. Or even the first time you wore something like out in public, did you go to like, maybe you were too young to go to the Friends of Eon? Oh, I, 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 it was an amazing coincidence because, yes, I was absolutely too young for Friends of Eon. (laughs) But um, I, was going age 16 and 17 I was going to where they were meeting but I didn't know they were meeting because they were meeting upstairs yeah. and I was going to a science fiction association meeting downstairs and that was one of the things that kept me if you like sane during my teenage years I immersed myself in science fiction and Star Trek 
And indeed, I met my, my wife at a Star Trek convention, oh. which I'm sure everybody's heard. But anyway, that's all I'll talk about. Um, that, but, uh, yeah, so amazingly, I was in a place called the Parliament Inn on Parliament Street, which is where the friends of Ian met. And if I had only known age 16 or 17 that there were part of, that there were some of my community upstairs, would I have had the nerve to go up and see them? I don't know. But I, it certainly would have, it would have helped me because I would have said, oh my God, there's a community there. How can I join it? How can I, you know, how, 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 how can I talk to, to them? Because I have so many questions, so many questions. So, but talk about a coincidence, the very same building on the same night. Oh my God. <laughs> that's like kismet. I think that's the right word. Where it's like, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. I, and I, 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 I love, yeah. Sorry, go on. I was gonna say I love how like you're really into the guy nerdy culture because I think a lot of trans <laughs> women like nowadays are really into yeah. that kind of culture. Yeah. They are okay. I should say because I am one of them. Okay. And, um, and I just I love that there's that kind. Of, I don't know what you call it, but kind of um, just like it's a similar culture, I guess. Yeah, like, yeah. It is. It is because it's a community. And it's to some degree discriminated against, um, ridiculed, um, certainly in the, well, not so much in the seventies and eighties, but once, when, when Star Trek became extremely popular, um, when Next Generation and so on came out, um, but, but I, 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 yet saying that, when I was growing up as a teenager, my my father always commented on the guy with the pointy ears, and would would make fun of me kindly. But every dinner, every at the dinner table, every day, he would say, "How's the guy with the pointy ears?" You know. So I mean, I, there is a community that is being disparaged and and, and you know discriminated against essentially. Um, because like a yeah. lot of kind of nerd culture. There was a lot of LGBT culture represented in kind of nerd culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, like, there's a comic Sandman that I've mm-hmm. always heard of that was meant to have, like, openly trans characters in, like, the 70s or something. Like, I think yeah. it was quite. Neil Gaiman, so that was, like, 60, so I don't know if it was the 70s, and I'd be wrong. Oh, sorry. I, I guess I just meant, like, that kind of era. I, I don't know. Well, he grew up in that era, I suppose. He did, but I think Neil Gaiman was 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 later than that. I yeah, know. I don't think he yeah, was studied in a while until yeah, like he the wasn't. 90s. Yes, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, but um, I mean, that's how I got through my teenage years by immersing myself in yeah. schoolwork and in in nerd c- culture, basically. Um, yeah, and I think that's. I mean, coming from me. Uh, video mm. games like being able to play as a girl can be very yeah. it can be like it's a escapism I suppose but it can be kind of therapeutic I think it can um, and one of the I, other things once I started uh, work in the civil service I was introduced by a friend to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons I'm sure that's somebody here who plays that or used to play that or whatever, or role-playing games anyway. And the it was amusing. I would tend to DM and um, that's um, basically run the game for anybody who's not familiar with it. And uh, I would regularly put in sex change potions in the game just... I was... Because that's how I transitioned i did everything really really slowly methodically um trying not to not to hurt people or not trying to affect people too much if i could so i was dropping hints left right and center and (laughs) when they you know so similar to my experiences yeah sorry yeah yeah like um yeah i i i did kind of that method slow kind of transition like I, I had this whole like, androgynous phase and then kind yeah. of going slightly more femme yeah. and um, and I did have things I love dropping hints like I would always kind of make jokes about cross-dressing and mm-hmm. you know like whenever we walked by a window I'd be like hey would I look good in this 
and it was kind yeah. of like just testing the waters kind of thing for me and <laughs> like little things like that yeah yeah so it's, it's uh, just very funny to me that's it that's it exactly that's it exactly but I mean it's not everybody's choice to to, to go that way to do it mm. gradually and androgynously and oh yeah yeah w- one of my friends just basically went into work uh, on the Friday and said to HR hey okay I'm uh, I'll be somebody else when you. Well, I think about obviously not somebody else, but I will look different when I arrive in on Monday. And the HR manager went, "Really?" And she just walked. She just walked in in a in a nice dress and heels on the Monday and said, "Deal with it." <laughs> oh, that, that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. yeah, isn't it just yeah? That, um, that's a bad bitch move. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, the the person that I'm thinking of is a bad bitch. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm not mentioning any names. Yeah, we didn't. We got access to Sarah Phillips' like archive, and there was an image that Alicia reminds me of of you holding up a poster. I forget what it says, but would you like to speak to us about that poster? I think the poster might have been the one outside the doll when we were protesting um, about marriage equality. Oh, yeah. you, oh no, oh no, yeah. Oh yeah, right, yeah. Um, and <laughs> um, it said, "Don't make something like don't make me divorce my wife," because during marriage equality, one of the things that um, that was made clear was that if marriage equality went through without the Gender Recognition Act no sorry no other way around if the <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 if if marriage equality failed but the Gender Recognition Act oh yeah yeah went through yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's it then I would have to choose between my gender identity being Philippa or Staying, staying married to Helen, my wife, because there was no same sex. There would have been no same sex marriage, and so I, I don't know if Helen was in that picture. Maybe it was just me. There were so many protests and so many marches and what have you. That, uh, uh, but yeah, it was it. It was one of the. It was one of those photographs that just uh, resonated with people because. Lucky as we were, we were a couple who stayed together. There were some very rough patches, but um, we stayed together. And we, the, I suppose, and we, I suppose we won't get into it too too deeply. But we wanted to ensure that the trans voice was he- was held was 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 heard, and so that's why I was there at that protest, which I think was was organised by Tenny. Um, but it was certainly organised to highlight the fact that the trans voice needs to be heard in the marriage equality debate. And uh, that's what we, basically, that's why we were there. So, um, the, so, I mean, I mentioned a bit about my transition, how I took the slow, careful I'd like to say uh, the the root the root that uh, <laughs> the root the root that affected people as little as possible. But despite the fact that I thought I was being reasonably obvious at certain points, when it came to telling people, friends and family, um, I did lose friends. But of course, within the community, both the trans and the wider LGBTQ community, um, I gained more. And some of my closest friends uh, were extremely accepting and very supportive, um, and would and would really uh, tell my side when there was any discussion about about trans rights or my transition. And it was wonderful to, to have that support, um, to, 
rather than having to take the brunt of the journey of the, the, the difficulties myself, but to have allies is so important. And I found that in work as well, because we set up a diversity and inclusion uh, group within my civil service organization. And when we set up the committee, there were eight people involved. Five were allies. Five. So more than half were actual allies. And I'm talking about passionate allies who were really, really keen to, to promote LGBTQ plus inclusion and, um, and to, as I mentioned earlier, tell my side of the story. And the gay and lesbian people in the, in the office as well were well supported by both the office and by their colleagues. So important. It's a what year? What have this been not to like try and age you? I transitioned fully in 2011. And um, in 2016, then there was a discussion around unconscious bias in the office. And I was asked to tell my story. Uh, and I ended up talking to all 550 staff. Oh, wow. Yeah, boards and. Um, um, uh, what you got management and everything, um, all over the country, uh, we have four offices, and I spoke to the entire staff. It started off actually; it was amusing because um, I spoke to management and the boards first, and then the staff heard about my story. Now I only spoke for about ten or fifteen, not not fifteen minutes, ten minutes, and. When the, when the rest of the staff heard about it, they said, well, we want to we hear Philippa's story as well. So the unconscious bias training that had been talked about being rolled out for just the management and, and board and maybe se- senior people in general was suddenly, oh, well, okay, we'd better roll this out for everybody and we'd better let Philippa tell her story. So it was great because I got a couple of overnights down in the likes of Waterford and Roscommon and, um, you know, Nice meals and so on. So now at the same time, it was extremely emotional because it was the first time that I told my work colleagues about myself. Um, I mean, I, as I say, I transitioned, I'd medically transitioned, uh, five, five years previously, but I'd socially transitioned with deed poll and so on seven years previous. So everybody knew about me and that was fine, but, um, they hadn't heard my story. They hadn't heard how I had coped, the, how my wife had coped and my daughter particularly. Um, and one of the things, if I'm giving a presentation, I have a slide where, where I talk about the reaction of my daughter when I, when I told her, when we told her, because I'd been to a Tenny meeting, Tenny committee meeting and Helen, my wife rang me and said, listen, I think Jenny uh, knows Jenny is our daughter. I think she's worked it out. I think she knows. She was 12 at the time. Just about to go into secondary school. So I got home and we sat her down on the couch and we said to her, okay, you know, we explained the situation. And she nodded and she, there were tears in her eyes, tears in everybody's eyes. And she said, yeah, yeah, I pretty much worked it out. But you have to be yourself. And so she said that to you. She said that to me. Ah. Age twelve. I mean, talk about considerate, understanding, accepting. Yeah. How we how it would be wonderful if the rest of the world could 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 hear that and maybe think, well actually I should be supporting people. I should be understanding more. I should be acknowledging people for who they are. Because if a 12 year old can do it with her, with her father, essentially, then surely anybody can do it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like I have a sister who's the same age now and like, mm. um, I started crocheting. And oh, I, I wow. make him this like, yeah, I'm making this cardigan. Uh, Cause like for ethic, I guess reasons, it's more ethical to kind of make my own clothes. And also to really like, I like making my own clothes. But, um, I'm making it in like the trans colors. And um, I show my sister, and she turns to us, that's a trans flag. And um, just like a really like, supportive, like, oh, yeah. look, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I think she kind of, 
get stuff from being like kind of online spaces where people are very openly themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, well, I think kids' games in particular, like Roblox, she plays all the time. And, um, <laughs> How old is she? I know. She's 12. Oh, she's 12 as well. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh so, like, she's oh. known, I guess she's known my whole life because uh, she was maybe four when I started transitioning. So, like, mm. she's been on this adventure with me, I suppose, in a way. But, um, I, I just think it's, like, great that. I, I've seen younger kids being a bit more open to it than like when I was a child where I would have got mercilessly beaten up um, if I was ever like queer in any way. Yeah. Like, which like yeah. people often like pick the bomb because I always been quite a feet even before like I transitioned, I was never very masculine or anything like that. Well I guess I was just gonna say that <laughs> Children are usually more understanding and empathetic than I guess we usually give them credit for. And it's like that whole yeah. thing of don't disturb the children, don't like ruin their innocence. Yeah. Yeah. In regards to like that. telling about LGBT people, it's kind of ridiculous because they're the ones who are the most like kind and gracious. And they don't have the yeah. like years and sometimes even decades of like bias and judgment against people because they're like different than you. So. Yeah, so much like mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. I just the whole thing of protecting kids. Like I get why we don't expose children to certain things, mm-hmm. but we also like their childhood is a bit parent for adulthood, and it seems the whole like think of the children crap is literally avoiding teaching them about adulthood. So like when they reach adulthood, are they supposed to suddenly turn into like these empathetic, understanding, mature individuals? Mm-hmm. Like no, they need to go and go through the childhood and be exposed to all the weird stuff of, like, you know, life in appropriate ways, of course, but, like, and I'm not to say that being trans is inappropriate, just, like, other stuff. Yeah. Like, sex, sex education, I suppose, just, like, that has to be in the right environment. But, of course, we should have inclusive sex education. I mean, that's kind of more where I'm coming of from. Of course, of course. Um, Which is still, yeah. I think, very much a point of contention. In the, in, the, in, the, in the 70s in Ireland, sex education, what was that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even talking to, like, people um, a few years ago when I didn't belong to, we're talking about, like, my age, like, are a little bit younger than me. Even. We're saying, like, they had nuns come to the school and just tell them not to have, like, sex and stuff like that. Yeah. to only marry one person. And it's like, yeah. that was, like, then the late 90s, early 2000s. Like, that's unreal. That is absolutely unreal. And, and, and it's, I mean, it's, to, some, to some degree, it's child abuse. Because yeah. surely, surely... I mean, you're going to be, you have to be, as you mentioned earlier, you have to be set up for life. You have to be set up for adulthood. Yeah. And not to tell them about certain things because of some religious view. And I understand if people have deep-seated religious views and that's, of course, but that's a personal belief. And, yeah. sorry, society requires people to be educated and to know what's happening in the world. And it's not right to 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 edit out things that really should should be uh, shown to, to, to kids, as yeah. you mentioned earlier on. Like, if it's awkward or it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. That, that, that's often, I feel like, where the whole think of the children thing comes from. It's more think of me, because this will put mm. me in an awkward position. Yes. Like, yes. I don't and understand in... being trans. I don't want to educate myself. Mm. Therefore, think of the children. <laughs> yeah. And, and that is exactly the attitude that you hear so yeah. often. From from people who put the onus on you to to not affect other people, but they're actually yeah. it's just that they can't accept it themselves. Um, one of the one of the senior people in in my in my job is a fundamentalist Christian uh, pastor, and he. Okay. He, um, he talks, he, for our diversity program, he came and he spoke to the complete uh, committee. And without going into a huge amount of detail, he, he started off with general concepts and then very quickly zeroed in on LGBTQ and then zeroed in on trans. 
and I'm not joking, I had to hold some of my some of the allies, my allies on that committee back from actually physically attacking him. Because he was he was basically saying that I was irrelevant, that I was an aberration, that I shouldn't exist. And that That's I should right. Yeah, that I should get up well, again, exactly, grow yeah. up. Yeah, grow up and and basically um you know just be be what who he thought I should be. And that was extremely upsetting to me. And I did approach him afterwards and I said to him, you know, okay, uh, that I couldn't accept his, his comments at all. Um, yeah. You know? Like, I don't know if I'd be able to talk to someone after that. I'd be too angry. Like, I wouldn't be able to. Yeah. I wouldn't know how to talk to him as well. Well, I said basically that, that I'm sorry, but my existence isn't up to, isn't up for a debate. I am who I am. You live with it because I'm not going away, is essentially what I said to him, you know. And uh, yeah. he just he was shocked, I think, at the vehemence of 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 the way I said it. <laughs> I had to I had to kind of he was a senior manager, so I had to be a little bit careful with. I couldn't exactly um, swear at him or anything like that, but. I made my point. I wanted to make my point, and I made my point. So I was uh, happy to have done that. Yeah, it's it's unreal that people feel comfortable just blatantly attacking other people like that. Like, I mean, yeah. it was obviously a blatant attack on you as an individual, and what would be the word, like, to... to uh, sorry, there's a specific word where it's like to make yeah. what people think badly of you. That's sorry, the, the, the witch? Oh, it's, it's a word to make, like, other people think badly of you. Um. Like, to, to take your name to the mud kind of thing. Or whatever. Disparage? You know, disparage. Disparage is a great word. Yeah. Yeah. Is that yeah. It? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Self deprecating. No, I think Ali heard all of the conversation. That's <laughs> wow. so bad. I always forget words. Oh, yeah. listen, yeah. The older you get, the more you forget. <laughs> I think it's all ahead of you. Oh, then I'm. Yeah, I'm very trouble. Big trouble. I'm just speaking about like allies and external support. I was wondering, could you tell us about like being in Tenny and any other organizations? Do you? Like, what was that like at that time, like before you came out and even after, whichever you'd prefer? I was involved on the committee and the board of Tenny over a few years. And I pop, popped on and off for various reasons. I, I needed to concentrate on my transition okay. um, up to 2011. I wanted to be really hyper fit. and I did a lot of cycling and... Um, Exercises and so on. And then there were pre, there were other pressures as well. So I decided not to, to, to be involved, but it was an amazing experience. Like Tenny really was properly formed in 2005, 2006. And we ended up going as a group, um, to Transgender Europe's first, uh, major council, which was in Vienna, which is a fabulous city if you ever get to go. Um, and, when I saw the activism in Europe and the way they embraced every aspect of trans, absolutely every aspect of trans, that kind of broadened. And I'd never met a trans guy before either. And there were, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was great to be, to be exposed to that, to be exposed to the different identities within our, within our community. And, then I came back to, to afterwards and we started really working on, on Tenny and I was chair for a couple of years and we were lucky enough to get a big grant from Atlantic Philanthropies who gave us enough money basically to set up the organization as a professional, professional organization with offices and staff and so on. Because prior to that, it had just been kind of a, a voluntary committee. And it's difficult to motivate people 
if it's a voluntary committee. Um, a lot of, some people end up doing all the work. And I've been involved in so many committees over the course of my life that I see that. And sometimes it's me that I don't have the time or the enthusiasm to, but I want to stay on the committee to help out a little bit. And other times it's just a case of just coping um, on a, on a committee and trying, trying your best to, to, to do as much as you possibly can. Um, so Tenny was, Tenny was in a, a good position. Um, once we got that grant, very good position, uh, with staff and so on. Um, I dropped out of TGEU, uh, in about 2009 uh, after four years involved, um, traveling to Europe, uh, on a regular basis, maybe two or three times a year allowed me to progress my transition considerably because I would travel as Philippa to all the meetings. Uh, initially, I had a letter from a, a psychologist saying, basically, it was my, idea, my um, uh, what do you call it, diagnosis as gender dysphoric, uh, as it was then. Mm. And I said, uh, if I, I, I had two, actually, I have one good and one bad experience going through the airport. I was going to a TGEU meeting in Berlin, and I walked up to the security, to the passport officials, handed over my passport. They looked at me and they said, that's not you. Because, of course, my passport at that stage, this is 2006, I think it was, my passport was male at the time. And yeah. so I said, well, actually it is, and here's my, here's a letter from my psychologist explaining the situation. Now, I absolutely hated that. And, but my colleagues yeah. in TGU uh, translated it into German, so that was useful. At least they had it there in their own language, just in case. And they looked at the letter, they looked at the passport, they looked at me, they looked at each other. There was no, there were no smiles. Like even ridicule, I would have taken. But these were people that were these were security uh, passport officials that were so so focused on this, and I was genuinely thinking I'd be on the next plane home. And how ironic is that, going to a TGEU meeting, that I would have been sent home from Germany. <laughs> However, I got through, and that was fine. And TGEU took note of it and so on. A year later or whatever, I was going to another meeting in Amsterdam. Uh, I'm coming back from Amsterdam. And uh, the um, passport official at the gate, elderly man, I remember this really, really well. And I was very relaxed. I was tired. I was very, but very relaxed and just keen to get home. And he looks at the passport and he says, this is not you. Uh, it, would it be your husband's passport? And I said, oh no, if I could produce, if I could show you this letter, and this will explain. Because at that stage, I hadn't done my deed pulse, so I didn't have my, my female passport. And he goes, Oh, I see. And he just one of the one of the phrases that will stay with me forever. He said, "I wish you well on your on your personal journey." And I get emotional thinking about it because what a lovely thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. How how understanding, how accepting. So. Um, they were my <laughs> they're my two passport stories and I got my I got my um, female passport then a couple of years later once I did my deed poll and so on and started really transitioning <laughs> yeah, that is so lovely are you going to say something Alexander Brawl yeah well, I just kind of like definitely like traveling has been like one of my biggest mm. fears since starting to transition like I haven't thought about well, I haven't I don't I like I don't want to kinda of go to that experience of going to airport security and mm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean if you don't you're letting the it to some degree 
you're letting the other side win. Um, yeah. You know, you need, I sh- you know, I'm not saying that you absolutely should because it's a personal choice, but by what, by, by going up to, uh, by, by traveling basically and just having confidence, confidence, I suppose, is, is, is everything. It's, but it's something that's, that you develop over time. And it certainly took me, I mean, I re, I started transitioning in 2005 and it really, I really wasn't that confident going out in public for, for a few years after that. Um, and it was only when I, when I got my deed pulled and uh, really started, um, living the real life test, if you like, um, that, I gained the confidence and I gained the the experience to be to be truly me. To to show the world me as I wanted the world to see me and as the true me. So I suppose from that point of view, it is a personal choice. So do whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, I do. would be quite anxious to travel but yeah i suppose that is lovely advice yeah traveling in particular is just the thing i suppose so on that note we might like begin to close but we're just wondering do you have a piece of advice that you'd like to give to younger trans people and then i since we've talked a lot about allies Mm. you could even Give them advice as well. Well, younger trans trans kids, um, I'm I'm so impressed with with the younger trans uh, kids these days. Um, whenever I see them, I'm I'm always amazed at their eloquence and the amount of knowledge that they have, and how I would have loved that back in the seventies and eighties um, when I was considering these. Um, so, just be yourself. Believe in yourself, um, and you can get through this. You can you can become the true true you. I suppose, as regards allies, there's a whole host of things that you can do. The most important is to to talk to to your trans friends and colleagues, and ask them what they want. Ask. Be careful of your pronouns. Be careful of your of any banter in an office or in in family situations. Um, it's too easy to just make little jokes that will affect people later on. And certainly in my in my own case, some some comments in the office that might not necessarily have been directed at me would affect me and I would lie awake at night and I would be upset and then I would eventually get over it. Um, and then if you see any as allies, I mean, the word allies is there to show support. And if we, if we uh, within the trans community have more and more allies and people who are willing to talk openly about their trans friends and to talk and to call out any situation which make trans people uncomfortable, any comments. It's not, it's not acceptable to, to, I suppose, um, to, to have trans people enduring negative comments or even worse or even physical violence. So when you see something as an ally, when you see something like that, Nip it in the bud. Talk about, talk to the person involved if, if it's safe to do so and try and explain. And nobody wants to be educated as such, um, by force, if you like, but make, explain to them why it's, why it's painful or difficult for the trans person to understand, to, to, to cope with this sort of uh, behavior and comments. And, just basically be there as a support for your trans friends. I mean, and then if participate in Pride, if, if that's what you want to do, and symbols and flags around offices or, or even we've got 
two pride flags in the in the porch here at at uh, at home, and so anything like that is the smallest thing can help the trans person to have a little bit more confidence and to to have a great have a, an easier life, and it doesn't take much from allies to do that. Thanks so much, Philippa. Um, and thank you for everyone for listening. Um, if you're interested in following us on Twitter or uh, Instagram, we are at the Sterlings. And you can find our website, thesterlingscollective.com. Uh, Philippa, is there anything you'd like to look? Um, Any websites? Or- <laughs> well, actually, now that you say it, um, I talk about my story a lot. And about 10 years ago, shortly after I medically transitioned, my best friend from school, he said to me, you have to write something. You have to write your story. And I said, listen, all that's happened to me over my 50 years at that stage is the obvious. I changed, essentially, to Philippa in everybody else's eyes, even though I was Philippa, obviously, within forever forever in a day so 10 years ago I started writing a book and in October it'll be published by oh, wow. Mercier Press and um, if I, I, I can sh- uh, can I share a screen here I know that the audience won't hear it I don't see how to share my screen but anyway um, I will email you I will email you the book cover Okay, which is only out since uh, last week, and it's not public, public yet. But it's, yeah. there's no problem. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's very exciting. It's painful writing it because it is originally it was a quarter of a million words. Then it was reduced to one hundred twenty-five thousand, and then I was told that it had to be seventy thousand. How can you fit a life into yeah. seventy thousand words? Yeah. So I'm not entirely happy with it, okay. but damn it. Hopefully it'll help somebody. I, um, I imagine. Oh, sorry. Um, the one I wanted was the skirt, as I explained earlier on. Yeah. But the publisher goes, no, no, no. People won't know what that's about. I said, well, that's what the subtitle is for. Put a line under it and he'll explain what it is. She goes, no, 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 no. It's got to be something else. So... My name is Philippa. That's what the title is. And the the introduction is being written, or is written by Catherine Zippon. Oh, wow. Yeah. So sometime in October, and you're all invited to the the launch party, wherever it is. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be Dublin somewhere anyway. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for um, inviting me. Um, it's been a pleasure and good, some good questions. So well done, well done. Well, no, they were all good. They were good. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you to everyone listening and we will see you next week. Bye. Yes, goodbye.